Klaivu sponsors the Replatform podcast. Check out Klaivu Smart Search in Action on replatform.fm to help you find the podcast you're looking for. In other news, we've written a guide with input from James and Paul, replatforming tips for in-house e-commerce teams. Download free at klaivu.com slash replatform. Welcome back to the Really Platform Podcast. Thanks for tuning in as always. It's myself, James Gerd. I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Rogers. Good morning, mate. Morning. How are you? I'm good, thanks. What's what's going on in Rogers' world? Not a lot. It's still quite early, so I'm still waking up. I haven't done <laughs> coffee. Um, what about you? Early. It's ten past nine, mate. It's the middle of the day. Uh, it feels early. feels earlier than that. <laughs> yeah, get a couple of kids and a dog, mate. That will sort you right out. Then nine o'clock is like, it's super late. Um, right, another exciting episode today. Um, today, we are going to be talking about how a leading technology vendor uses data science and artificial intelligence to improve the product and customer offer. Sounds like a mouthful, so let's break that down. So AI has been revolutionising e-commerce for small and big businesses. It's being used by various companies to get better understanding of customers, to automate decision-making, and to support various areas of the business, um, you know, including areas like you know, on-site search, merchandise, etc. AI-powered commerce uh, can enable lots of different parts of the site. Um, And according to a survey conducted by Adobe of YouGov, 56% of the 7,000 people they surveyed said they were more inclined towards purchasing from retailers that utilise AI to give them better quality user experiences and more personalised experiences. But is AI really all it's built up to be? Um, that's one of the questions you want to tackle today. And the other part is we want to talk about data science. So data science is talked a lot um, in a B2C context, but less so B2B, but it's becoming a core B2B competitive strength. So to shed more light on the role of AI and data science and, and really talk about some of the practical applications, we reached out to the team at Covio, a recognised industry leader like Garner and Forrester in the e-commerce space. And today we're joined by Ben Wild, um, of, uh, heads up Enterprise Sales, and Andrea Polonioni, who's responsible for product management. So welcome to you both. Hi, good morning, James. Good to be here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you both for joining us. So, okay, let's do the introductions. Could you both just give us a flavour of who you are, um, what you do, and, and, and tell, us, tell us a bit about what, it, what is Covio? Sure, absolutely. So I'm, I'm Ben Wild, responsible for um, for sales in UK and Ireland for, for Caveo. Um, and Caveo is started out life as a search technology. Um, and as you say, recognised by uh, by Gartner and Forrester as being uh, very good at helping people deliver you know, a better search experience. And the reality is that the way that you deliver a great search experience is by, you know, leveraging the power of AI and machine learning to not only respond to that query which you're being asked, but also use other data sets, you know, um, clickstream data, uh, CRM data, any other data that you might have access to, to be able to inform what might be the most relevant um, 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 content, which is likely to help that customer at that uh, that moment in time. Um, and it then goes beyond uh, beyond simply responding to a search query into the world of proactive recommendations. So then we're able to help with um, merchandising and associating products to ensure that the relevant uh, the relevant product is placed in front of the right audience at the right time. So you know your 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 stat there, where um, you know customers are, are are more inclined towards an organisation that uses AI. Um, and if you consider someone like Amazon, that's often sort of held up as the kind of the gold standard at this. You know they're making about forty percent of their revenues through 
through being very good at recommendations. So they're presenting products which you've not asked for, but are likely to be interested in based on what they know about you. And that's what we're helping our, our customers to do is be better at delivering a relevant experience right the way across their estate and connecting all of the elements of a digital journey and all of the content, wherever it may reside, that might uh, that might power it. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much. Looking forward to the conversation. Well, thank you so much, Ben. So uh, uh, here is Andrea Polognoli, and I'm based in EMEA, and I sit in the product management team, where I, where I really try to bring my scientific background and my expertise in e-commerce to, to help and develop products that are really valuable to our customers. Well, I mean, in, in a previous life, I, I used to be an academic researcher, so I got my PhD from the University of Edinburgh. And I've published uh, work in a number of journals in, in, in cognitive science and information science. But you know, once I left academia, I joined uh, the world of high tech, um, working at a, an e-commerce AI startup, which was headquartered in Silicon Valley. And it, uh, it's named Tuzo, which after a few years was actually acquired by Coveo. And uh, that was in uh, 2000, uh, 2019. And, uh, and that's when I actually joined Coveo. Lovely. Um, so I'll ask the first question. So data science is key to your kind of offering and product strategy. Can you clarify for our listeners what data science is in the context of your product and why it's important for a tech company? Yeah, so uh, absolutely great. <laughs> great question, Paul. And, um, you know, at Coveo, I would say our product really speaks data. And the way I see it is that, you know, data science is really a way of dialoguing with the data that you know companies are sitting on, and but, but please let me elaborate a bit on, on that. Um, so you know, there's quite an interesting um, you know thing that you can notice if you look at search trends for the queries data science and big data over the past fifteen years. So what you're gonna find is that the popularity of you know these two queries goes hand in hand, and this is not by accident. So. You know, really, technology has enabled you know the creation and and, and the storage of really huge amounts of information, which which means that many companies are now sitting on you know a treasure trove of data. And you know, just to give you an example, you know, talking about Coveo, uh, you know, our company handles billions of search requests every year, and that means quite a lot of data. But you really need to be able to make sense of this wealth of, of information and data and be able to turn it into insights and, you know, eventually into something which is valuable to, to customers, users, or, you know, however the relevant audience is defined. So you really, you really have to be able to turn that data into real uh, business value. And that's precisely what data science, uh, you know, can help you do and, and where data science comes in. And, you know, that's also why many winning organizations like uh, Coveo, but also many others, have really embraced data science as a critical role, you know, uh, within the company. So I, I guess what a, a question a lot of people have, Andrea, is what, what, does, a, what, what does a data scientist do? Let, let, let's give people some practical examples like data. What, does, uh, what do data scientists really do? And um, what are the tools and technology that, that you guys are actually using? To do this, yeah, great, great question. So, so, okay, what do they do? So, I would say it varies from company to company, but generally, I think you know we can keep in mind the data science lifecycle, which really involves a few critical steps from really obtaining the data to scrubbing it, exploring it, and you got to model data and and also interpret it. 
And that, that should give you a rough idea. But then it, it is also well known that data preparation tasks also have occupied a, a fairly substantial portion of data scientists' time. Um, things have improved lately, but um, data scientists still spend quite a lot of time in the process of collecting, you know, cleaning and managing data because data is never clean. So I, I think that based on you know some of the most recent surveys that I've seen, data preparation still takes the lion's share of time that you know in a, in a typical data scientist day. So even before data modeling and visualization, but. You know, just to move to the second part of your question, so about you know the tools they use. Two things. First, I would say, you know, of course, you'll find that you know there are some skills and tools that you know data scientists are expected to master and use. And you know, you, you'll know that you know as I mean, SQL, you know, as a language uh, is very very popular. I mean, this is one of the most critical skills. It's used for accessing, cleaning, analyzing. Uh, you know what what's stored in in, in databases, and you know also Python, of course, is one of the most dominant uh, programming languages for data science in the industry. You know, in part because of the flexibility, but also because of the open source nature. And, and but that's that, that's I mean, just to give you uh, two examples, you'll also find that Spark is a popular tool with one of the uh, largest communities in big data. You know, and, and, and this used to be uh, known as the really Swiss army knife of big data analytics. And, and it has been really a main data processing framework. But, but there is a second part to it, which I think is really worth uh, you know, mentioning, which is you know, besides these tools and what is currently being used, uh, it's important to keep in mind that you know, tools keep emerging. Some of these tools are actually really amazing. And some are really having a great impact on the productivity of data scientists. So data scientists can really benefit from constant innovations and you know, really need to constantly learn how to you know, best use these emerging tools. I mean, just to give a few examples, there's now really a plethora of tools available, such as preset for data visualization, DBT for data transformation. So the, the landscape is uh, really evolving and I would recommend that data scientists really keep looking for uh, for these innovations. It's interesting you mentioned Python because in the SEO space, uh, Python skills are becoming in more demand and the more data-led and technical side of SEO is very much uh, emerging around um, that skill set. So interesting. Um, so let's look at the, 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 the kind of what the outputs of this are. So I'd love to know and love to share with our listeners. What is the output of the data science team in terms of how it influences the product? Because you, obviously you, you look after the product in Caveo. So what does the data science team do? Could you give us a couple of examples of how the work that's being done in that part of the business translates into like customer-facing features or product improvements? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you, you know, James, I think this is really a great opportunity to clear up some misunderstandings because... You know, I, I would start by saying that you know, what is critical is actually to start with a well-defined problem if you're a data scientist. I mean, a problem that is associated with a clear business value. Because there was a misconception, you know, something that you know, you've got a journey from, from data to, to actually the product that is a sort of you know, data-first approach where you have you know, these data sets that you know, these, these data scientists could do something with. And then you, you try to retrofit it into a problem. But in fact, uh, I mean, I think that uh, this is a misconception. Before skipping uh, to, you know, and, you know, to build a model, hopefully, you know, the first step should be to, to really 
clearly state uh, a meaningful problem, problem uh, one, one that you actually want to solve. And that would include really, uh, you know, defining some metrics that demonstrate whether or not you've actually succeeded in uh, in building a solution that solves that problem. So then I think it's it's really critical, I mean, to your question that, you know, that you don't have a fence between data scientists and developers. So data scientists and developers work on different parts of the same workflow. You know, you got data scientists that, you know, explore the data for, for new insights, and, and you got the developers that use these insights to, you know, automate the, the workflow and, and, and work to create products. However, ideally, they should both be working toward the common goal of, you know, delivering well-constructed product. And you know, I think that the goal is best realized through, you know, structured, close collaboration, which, you know, can really be achieved by employing, I think, you know, agile working methodologies and, and also using some platforms and, you know, share uh, data scientists and developer project workspace. But, you know, you, you asked for some examples, and I think that actually a very interesting example uh, comes from uh, uh, from from some of the work that our um, our data scientists did um, around personalization. So, you know, the team was tasked with finding a compelling approach for personalization, you know, for search and discovery, even for you know anonymous and, and new users. And this is a problem that matters really greatly for many companies, as you know, in, in many cases, e-commerce players don't really have you know, that huge amount and variety of data that you know Amazon and other digital giants do have. And so you've got really uh, le- I mean, few data points that you can leverage to deliver um, personalization. So we had our data science team that was really tasked with figuring out the best ways to personalize the, you know, the customer experience you know, in, in the journey, focusing on so-called in-session signals. And what's interesting is that this led first to a number of publications in, in really prestigious journals. But of course, you know, publishing in journals is, is really great, but that's not enough to show that the, you know, the, what you're working on, that the project is ready to be deployed at scale. So we started to really collect extensive evidence that this is actually you know, something that could work at scale. And eventually these in, the insights were also productized uh, um, you know, working in unison with uh, developers. So, so I think what's particularly interesting is that not only we published some cutting-edge research on the topic, we've also been able to turn that into a set of features generally available to our customers, uh, which can be used to power you know all the critical touch points in the customer journey. And you know this has been really a, a great success story with some clear ROI associated with uh, with the solution. And you know I've, I've also written. You know, a blog, a blog post on on our corporate blog to articulate the, really the business value that comes with this solution, and um, and I think it's really an interesting topic. I think that's a nice practical example of the in session learning because historically a lot of the AI stuff I looked at it was learning post session, not uh, being agile enough to respond to the signals within the current user journey. Could you could you just give us an example like what one of those signals might be? Um, yeah, for example, you know, is this just about specific on-page behavior that you took signals from? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, start from the kind of experience you would get in a in a physical store. You know, you enter the physical store, you, you look around. You know, um, you are looking for running shoes, and 
and, and you know that gives the sales associate a signal that you might be interested in a theme around running. So if you ask next, you know, for um, for T-shirts or, or you know other kinds of items, well, the, the smart sales associate would be able to actually factor in. Uh, you know that, that kind of uh, th those kinds of signals that they've collected, and to uh, show you all the products that are most relevant to uh, to running in this particular example. And this translates nicely into what we've been working on in personalization. Because you know, if during the session you you've been looking, you know, for you've been viewing. Uh, golf equipment or uh, running uh, shoes. I mean, you're emitting, you're providing uh, a lot of signals that can be used to tailor and re-rank, uh, you know, the, um, what you're going to see next. So I think it's, uh, these are kind of examples of, uh, of how in-session personalization can work. And I think it's particularly interesting because it really uh, tries to mimic in a way and optimize the experience that you get uh, in a physical uh, store. Great. Um, and then moving on to our, the next question. So Covio launched its own AI labs in 2019. Um, so can you just talk us through what that is and kind of how it works and how it benefits your customers? Yeah, I mean, uh, thank you, Paul. So, I mean, First of all, I mean, I'm going to try to unpack this by uh, by asking, I mean, and answering, what is AI Lab? So, Covell Data Scientists really, you know, continue to research, publish, teach, and, and really engage with the worldwide research community. And AI Labs is really the hub at the heart of all these um, kinds of initiatives. Is it something radically new? Well, in a way, no. If you look at uh, all digital giants out there, you know, they all do some advanced AI uh, research and they work on innovation. I mean, of course, Google does it, Amazon does it, Spotify does it, Netflix does it. I mean, there are differences, uh, but they all have some sort of AI labs. And I go, well, I mean, we really try to, to take the freedom to experiment seriously. And, you know, we are willing to push the latest research to its limit. So the question is, what is the benefit to, to customers? And I think that generally, it's really good for customers to know that they they partner the partner they've chosen you know to work with is is really leading in terms of innovation. So um, you know, Coveo last year um, produced the same amount of scientific outputs in uh, uh, in journals, of, specifically for um, e-commerce AI, as Home Depot and Alibaba, and that's not really something trivial. And you know, just to, to provide some of the you know most recent uh, updates and you know, information. The other day, a paper that Coveo presented at uh, one of the leading NLP conferences, which is NACL, won the best industry paper award. And, you know, there were Amazon, IBM, and other giants were presenting there. And I think this shows to our customers that we are really working hard and leading in, in research and innovation. But there are a few other things that I'd like to uh, to mention. So the first, I mean, one, one important thing is that the launch of AI Labs really gives us the opportunity to bring others, to bring prospect customer into our world. Customers can really learn about the technology that they're using and, and really, frankly, uh, benefiting from. So, you know, everyone says they're doing AI, but not all AI is really created equal. So I think it's, you know, the, the more transparency can help and Coveo AI Labs really can explain and, you know, 
educate uh, around all the technology that uh, that we've been using and you know our customers uh, are using. Final thing I'd like to mention, there's also a pragmatic reason. I mean, a, a great benefit uh, I see uh, associated with AI Labs is that, you know, thanks to AI Labs, we've been able to attract talent and partner with really leading researchers from organizations such as Stanford, you know, Coney University, and, uh, and many others, which in turn really helped us publish in journals such as Nature Scientific Reports and many others. So, I mean, quite a few benefits. Great. And in terms of kind of using that AI from a practical perspective for e-commerce businesses, um, what are some of the use cases? Um, like what do uh, what what couldn't merchants do before that they can now? Yeah, I mean, great question. And, you know, the, the truth is that really, you know, if we look at innovation in product search and discovery, these are really advancing, uh, advancing fairly quickly. And, you know, the, the frustrations that AI and machine learning can can solve our, our wide ranges. So, in fact, I'd say that, uh, you know, AI isn't something that you can really sprinkle here and there on the platform, but it's more like a layer of intelligence uh, across all relevant touch points. And I'll give you a few concrete examples, you know, of how AI, you know, can really help when it comes to e-commerce search and discovery. So, you know, you, you've got some prospects that, you know, can come to you with uh, some usual concerns about the precision of the, the search engine. Well, the good news is that with AI, you know, you, you can help address these concerns because, you know, imagine that someone is looking, for example, for red cocktail dress or you know, other kinds of queries, and you've got to be able to not only return, return all the relevant results, but also to be able to ensure that the ranking of the product is optimal. And, you know, being able to find the optimal ranking of products to ease access to relevant content is just especially critical as, you know, people really are paying a lot of attention to the top results. So, you know, being able to increase the precision um, with AI can translate into substantial revenue revenue improvements, which is obviously uh, a big benefit for merchants. But, of course, you also got uh, the other side of relevance, which is recall. You've got to ensure that you return all the relevant products for a given query. And that might sound easy, but I promise it isn't. You know, as you need to be able to handle synonyms, typos, and, and deal successfully with other uh, very relevant linguistic phenomena. So, um, for example, you know, it's easy to appreciate the, the importance of being able to, to leverage AI to automatically generate synonyms and close vocabulary gaps. So, Using machine learning can really help you detect uh, potential synonyms. And this is great because you can really increase recall and relevance. And you know you do so by reducing zero result pages. All this is great, uh, but it, there is another benefit that comes with it. You know, what's important is that by doing so, you can also reduce the burden on merchandisers you know, and, and category managers. Of course, you know, your merchandiser would rather focus on more creative work than, you know, being able to, uh, that, than, you know, being stuck with some repetitive tasks like, you know, curating synonyms. So machine learning can really help you also free more of your merchandiser's time to do some of the most valuable and more creative work. Um, I mean, just final, uh, final thing is, you know, of course, we also have <laughs> several 
uh, use cases uh, that are worth being uh, worth uh, worth of attention, which concern a product recommendation. So we see companies that you know want their customers to easily discover you know top picks based on their browsing history and, and preferences. Uh, but we also want uh, we also see that these companies want to point uh, uh, point these customers to uh, complementary products as well. And you know, there's a famous statistic that comes from McKinsey, uh, and this suggests that 35% of Amazon's revenue comes from recommendation. Well, the truth is that some have challenged statistic, and I think with good arguments. But uh, what at least this does suggest is that you know merchants can re-leverage uh, AI to turn product recommendations into powerful drivers of you know conversion and cross and upselling. I think that's a, I think that's a really nice point actually about helping people focus on value-add tasks rather than doing the, the, the less exciting things. You know, things like creating dictionaries for, for synonyms is, is not an exciting task and it takes time and effort to manage. So I think that's quite a nice example. Um, kind of question related to that. So a lot, for a lot of um, e-commerce teams I work with, the key benefit for them to, uh, of AI is, is automation at scale and personalization. Now, how do we create one-to-one true personalization? How do we curate that experience? Can you just give us a couple? I know you talked about it a little bit earlier. Can you give us a couple of extra examples? Like, how has the output of Coveo's AI Labs helped you improve the personalization capabilities within the platform? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, thank thank you so much, uh, James. I, I I think actually this question has an opportunity to clarify also first uh, one point because I. I would like to clarify that you know uh, AI is not just focused on automating and you know replicating what a what a human is doing. I think this is a bit of a narrow view, and you know t- to be sure. Uh, and and we briefly, I mean, touch about the, uh, uh, touched upon this earlier, and you, you just referred to it. You know, uh, AI can help reduce manual work and, and you know, can really make uh, life easier for merchandiser and category managers. You know, they don't need to spend so much time. Adding synonyms manually or, or keyword redirects, but, but I think besides automation for many tasks, there is really a critical component of optimization, and and you know you got the opportunity to leverage the predictive predictive capabilities of machine learning, and you can really go beyond the capabilities of a human. So uh, again, uh, machine learning can really help you op- optimize the relevance of shopper search and uh, navigation experiences, but. You know, that's it. I mean, and I, I wanted to, to clear that up. But, um, you know, I think that in the case the case of, uh, of personalization is particularly interesting because um, we've done something interesting and, and different, um, you know, from most approaches that you're going to find in the market. So, um, so most e-commerce websites and also uh, several personalization vendors have been pursuing an approach to personalization that, Really, uh, you know, departs from from what characterizes the sort of personalization that you, you know you would experience in a in a in a brick and mortar store. And you know, I already talked uh, about it briefly. Um, but um, what do I mean by uh, you, you know different approaches? So most vendors haven't really tried to replicate the kind of experience you find in a brick and mortar store, and instead of trying to personalize the experience by tracking users. The idea is. You know, I tracked you. I know that you've looked at golf equipment two weeks ago. I assume you still have an interest in golf, which which may of course be true, but I may already have bought the items that you know, you know, for golf that I needed. So in which case, you know, showing me golf t-shirts, gloves, 
trousers uh, and so forth may not be relevant anymore. And um, and and so I think this is a bit of a problem. And you also have to consider that you know this approach um, also had to face a number of regulatory challenges. But what I think is particularly interesting is that with our AI labs, we've been able to really perfect and work on advanced machine learning models and solutions that that would help e-commerce websites uh, successfully deliver experiences, even in those cases where you know customers don't log in, you know, even where you know users don't really visit the website frequently. And we've been doing that by trying to really mirror and improve the sort of experience you would get in a physical store with an excellent sales associate. So, to sum up, I think it's important to keep in mind these two different dimensions, like trying to automate and try to optimize. And, you know, with our work on personalization, we've been trying to, you know, focus on the kind of experience you get in store. And we've been trying to kind of replicate that, but also to optimize and improve it. And we think this is quite different from, you know, the other kinds of uh, approaches that you're going to find in the market. Right. Um, and what, what concerns, when you're talking to e-com teams, what concerns do they have around kind of the usage of AI and machine learning tooling um, and the kind of cost of ownership and also the resourcing of these tools? Yeah, yeah I mean, great question. I think there are a number of, you know, different concerns. Uh, first, you've got some uh, prospects, you've got some people that feel that with AI and machine learning, they, they're going to lose control over the experiences that their customers are having. And, and this is quite a popular concern. And I think, you know, you've got to be able to explain uh, that they won't really lose control over the customer experience. And of course, they can choose what needs to, to be optimized. But you've also got to emphasize, you know, the importance of partnering with a vendor you, you can really trust because, you know, not all AI is the same and you've got to make that clear. You've got to be able to let AI automate and optimize. And, you know, so it's, it's really critical to be able to trust the technology that you actually purchase. And, you know, to this point, uh, I mean, at least based on my experience, um, you know, you've also got some people that have a very deep fascination, you know, with the giant data sets that, that get a lot of attention in the media. And, you know, you got prospects, you got quite a, a lot of people that think that only by relying on, you know, these super famous models, they can achieve success in e-commerce. And, and, and to be sure, you know, it, it's true that advancements in, uh, in the field of natural language processing have been, you know, a few years in the making, you know, with the launch of two massive deep learning models, GPT by OpenAI and Bear by Google. But these models have both been trained by, uh, I mean, on generic data, not e-commerce data. So what we try to do, and what I think you should be doing, is really to try and explain to, you know, to prospect, to any people that ask you this question or, on, or have these kinds of concerns, that, you know, of course, these data sets are really great, well, literally, <laughs> but the ability to fine-tune models with the right kinds of data and to be able to leverage e-commerce expertise and you know, domain knowledge is crucial. And at Covell, we are proud of having machine learning technology that is trained on you know, relevant data to ensure best performance for e-commerce. So, so I would say size matter, but, um, but domain specificity and knowledge is crucial. And you know, you also have concerns, as, as you say, um, you know, about 
the total cost of ownership, I, you know, I, I can I can think that you know for a prospect it can be challenging because you know they, they've been told by a gazillion of different vendors that you know these vendors are the only ones that can provide the best AI and machine learning solution, which has the shortest you know payback period, highest ROI, and so forth. And to be honest, when it comes to comparing you know the cost effectiveness of different e-commerce search solutions, you know. Conducting and carrying out really a compelling analysis is not easy, and and it's really important to be able to come up with a realistic and a rigorous model, you know, that can address this objection. And you know, for this reason, I think we we really have an internal team at of consultants at Coveo, which is specifically dedicated to conducting business value assessments, and you know, and this team is really instrumental in being able to articulate. You know the business value of choosing our AI solution, but I mean to this point, I I don't know if Ben perhaps wants to to add anything to it. Yeah, thanks, Andrea. It, it, it's certainly a, a a concern for a lot of the organisations that we work with. Um, you know, a lot of the things you've spoken about sound you know very daunting and very complex, and um, you know, I think there's a there's 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 a, there's a fear perhaps amongst some of the prospects we're speaking with that they're suddenly going to have to hire a team of Andreas to be able to make this this magic work, um, and and that can you know make them hesitate in terms of sort of progressing down a particular path. And the reality is that I think it's it, it's imperative that they work with you know trusted advisors like like you know you guys Paul and James to uh, direct them to the kinds of solutions which are going to help them achieve these business objectives, which you know ultimately is. Is always the target, and then work with a technology vendor, which is helping them, you know, package up the brains of of Andrea and the team in such a way that it becomes a usable solution um, by 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 business units, um, by you know, by the by the owner of the problem, rather than by um, you know, sort of specialist uh, technical teams. So that that's certainly uh, one of the concerns that we have to work through with with organizations that you know the technology is now packaged in such a way that you don't have to uh, go out and work with uh, you know the guys at Stanford University to hire the best uh, data science uh, brains in the land to uh, to make this stuff work i got a question like linked to the personalization um things we, we've talked about personalization quite a bit i think that's typically where most people um seem to perceive from an e-commerce point of view the value of, of ai in ml um it's still a lot of it's still currently reliant upon permission-based tracking and regulations are constantly involved in this space like you know e-privacy online privacy is such a hot topic and there's draft ai regulation in europe at the moment the ai act what's What's your take on this, and how do you think it's going to impact what AI can and can't do in the future for an e-commerce site? Yeah, I mean, uh, thanks so much, James. Great question. I think, as you as you say, uh, and you point to, you know, personalization efforts are, are really facing a fast evolving regulatory environment. But I would also add that you know the technological landscape is evolving too, and you know, I. I I would just generally say, you know, these developments are really welcome and in line with our vision and roadmap at Coveo. But, you know, I'm going to give a bit of more uh, details on that. So if you go back a few years ago, you know, personalization was really clearly linked with, uh, you know, to cross-site tracking, third-party cookies, and, and kind of similar technologies. And, you know, I heard, you know, some vendors are actually still pitching cross-site tracking for personalization. but then in, you know, 2018, you got GDPR, you know, you get 
that's starting to demand that companies will make transparent to their uh, visitors what they were consenting to. And you know, what's more important, however, is that you know you, you also had browsers announcing their decisions to stop using third-party cookies. We, um, you know, which meant that you know cross-site tracking wasn't going to be really a viable option. And you know, you, you have a few emerging frameworks on personalization, some of which are, are really based on. And on, on what analysts like Forrester call zero-party data, which is you know, the idea that customers spontaneously and explicitly provide uh, provide data. But you know, th these approaches do face some challenges, I think, and in particular, you know, and, and we kind of uh, gesture towards these earlier. You know, most brands and retailers don't really deal with huge percentages of loyal visitors who log in and are interested really in curating their the profile, you know, disclosing all the preferences, interests, like they would do, for instance, on Amazon, TripAdvisor, or Yelp. So actually, you know, the, the approach we use at Coveo uh, greatly helps, you know, these companies that are in the Amazon, the Amazons of the situation. Uh, you know, customers don't log in in many cases, but we can still personalize without relying on third-party data and without really doing cross-site tracking. And our approach leverages you know real-time behavioral signals uh, i mean we talked about it so we can really leverage those uh those signals that you get during the sessions and we can leverage them to re-rank tailor the results based on you know the kinds of products that you know the users uh, view during in the current session pretty much like a sales associate would do in a shop and you know our approach is very much in line with the very recent draft, you know, the sort of AI regulation that uh, was put forward by the EU uh, that you just mentioned. So the draft rules, to be honest, you know, still have a long way to go before you know they can take effect. We know it, and you know they need to be reviewed by the European Parliament and the European Council. It could be amended in a in a process that you know could take several years. But like many other companies in AI, we are very much in favor of this type of regulation. So why is that? Well, I mean, I mean to, to be honest, personalization isn't one of the use cases classified as carrying unacceptable or high risk, because you know, as um, such as biometric identification, or I mean, just thinking about something else, social credit scores, which are some of the use cases that regulation is mostly concerned with. But Still, I think it's really critical to ensure that fairness, you know, transparency, and, and ethics within uh, AI are there. And our approach to personalization is clearly designed not to infringe individuals' privacy. And we're always clear about data gathering and processing practices. So, I would also add that you know the model of innovation and research that we've been pursuing here at Coveo can really help us show our commitment to transparency. So we really disseminate, you know, the research we do. Um, I mean, we, we publish in uh, in journals and, and share anonymized data sets. So we really encourage uh, researchers and practitioners to replicate our findings. So really, I think privacy, transparency, and accountability are, are really values that we, we fully support. And, and we show that actually in practice. Great. And um and I guess like what's next for Coveo? So like my last question, like what's in your roadmap? Um, yeah, what are some of the other kind of areas that you're going to be expanding, particularly on the AI side? Um, yeah, what's next? 
Right. Thank you. So, I mean, there are actually quite a few cool things we're working on. And of course, you know, we got constant product updates, which explain all the new features in our, in our what's new section uh, of the Coveo's website. But I'd like to say a few things about some key directions that I think are particularly interesting to the audience, you know, to the listeners today. And first, I think, you know, A-B testing is really critical. You know, there's been a lot of enthusiasm about, um, you know, around experimentation platforms recently. And, you know, the, the ability to easily conduct experiments and, and really test different variants, and which is great. I mean, don't get me wrong. But unfortunately, most vendors have prioritized ease of use over scientific rigor. And, you know, I think that, of course, you do need A-B testing to be easy, but testing without really following the best practices for sampling or, you know, interpreting results can actually be misleading and dangerous. So at Covea, we've been you know, investing to ensure that the most rigorous standards can be followed without sacrificing ease of use. So this is one direction. But you know, a few other things, uh, we're also... We also think that you know um, analytics uh, is an important direction and an area to to consider. So of course you you know uh, attribution is critical, and I'll give you one example. So I mentioned this earlier. Actually, uh, you know it, it's common to hear that thirty five percent of Amazon's revenue is generated by its recommendation engine. Well, uh, this comes from McKinsey. Uh, what many people don't know, however, is that this statistic has been challenged and it's controversial. For example, you know, I, I, if I recall correctly, there are resources from Microsoft and Cornell that estimate that the real causal impact is way lower than that. And this is because most of the traffic, or most of the recommendation traffic would have been generated anyway. So what I want to say is that really attribution is not trivial and yet it's important. And you need powerful commerce-specific analytics to get insights into the buyer uh, journeys. And we've been reinvesting heavily in this direction, and we will keep doing so. And, and finally, since I really mentioned uh, you know, recommendations, I think you know, it's worth mentioning that we are also working on several interesting use cases, such as you know, the, the emerging comparison recommenders like those that you get at Amazon and Home Depot uh, on product detail pages. These are really important tools as they can ease the comparison uh, you know, between similar products and they can greatly simplify the decision-making process for you know, visitors and customers. And I, I think that comparison recommenders will become critical in a number of verticals, you know, both in B2C and in B2B commerce. So, so please stay tuned. Excellent. Thanks very much, Sean. It's been an interesting episode. It's, a, it's the first one we've done where we've talked specifically around data science uh, and AI. So hopefully that's been a, of interest to our, our listeners to understand the perspective from a technology company and how you guys are using it internally. Um, if people want to learn more I guess, about Caveo or, or if they want to further explore the role of data science, um, AI in commerce, like, how do they reach out? Um, well, we, yeah, we're absolutely delighted to uh, to speak with uh, with yeah with with any of your listeners that wants to have you know perhaps a more detailed conversation around the the specifics and the the uh, the, the, the mechanics of uh, of AI and data science and so forth. And Andrea and the team would be very happy to to have those kinds of conversations. And and equally, we have a team of um, analysts that would be uh, very happy to um, to carry out an, an audit of uh, of websites as they are currently to be able to help. 
um, any of the listeners that are interested to understand, you know, where are the areas that they might be able to optimize rapidly? What are the things that uh, that a bit of uh, machine learning magic might be able to introduce to uh, to some of the outcomes that they uh, they might be seeking on the website? So uh, yeah, we've got a team of analysts and just getting you know an, an independent you know um, third party to take a look at things can uh, can sometimes open up some uh, some perspectives that might not have been spotted previously. So very happy to to have that conversation. Um, and I'm sure that we can we can share contact details on the uh, on, on the, uh, the podcast uh, site. So Ben and Andrea, thanks so much for taking the time to share your your knowledge and insights. Um, I hope it's been a, an enjoyable experience for you today on the podcast. Yep, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Great pleasure. <laughs> yeah, always. In, it's, I love these episodes. I always learn something new myself as well. And look, thanks as always to everybody for listening. We generally do appreciate it. Do tell other people people about it. We obviously want to grow our audience. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, and then you can get uh, updates on the latest episode. So stay tuned for the new series starting next week, where we're going to dive into the ultimate industry bingo buzzwords of headless and composable commerce. So we're going to be doing jargon busting, looking at practical examples, and also exploring where brands have taken a headless approach and, and what they've learned. So it should be a cracking series. 